When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered. Yes, you may be slightly alarmed to hear my voice, that is George Belshaw's voice, first up and not the dulcet tones of James Gray. We are without our our lead anchor this week, so I will try and roughly guide us through the week's tennis activity. I'm joined as ever by the late, the great Calvin Beton, who hasn't died otherwise, I'd like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he wasn't late either so i'm really just digging him out for no reason how are you calvin yeah i'm all right uh just uh had a weekend of uh girls under 18s county cup at bath um which is probably the most tiring week of the uh, weekend of the year that i do um so i'm a bit shattered but yeah i'm all right successful weekend we- uh we finished the Yorkshire girls finished second uh, behind a very, very strong Surrey team um, that was maybe the strongest team I've ever seen at a girls' 18s County Cup. High praise indeed for the mighty Surrey. <clears throat> and equally mighty is the world-renowned tennis commentator, Abigail Johnson, who is back, backed on tennis and filtered. Abigail, how are you? Welcome to the show again. Thank you for filling in. Thank you. I'm much better after that intro. One of the better ones I've received. I'm also grateful for, on your behalf, George, that you get a week off from James Gray slating you. He he tries to call you like a semi-retired tennis writer or something. <laughs> and I, I, the times I've listened in, this seems to be a, a bit of a theme. So I'm, I'm glad that you get a breather from that one. That's very kind. Of, I mean, I did until you just brought it up again, Abigail. But uh, yeah, you know, I know I ruined I it. Say? I ruined it. But um, yeah, I I, it's, uh, he's he's pretty harsh, James. He really digs. He really does. 
Well, we've got a high quality lineup on the show, even in James's absence. And we're going to start with someone who's arguably been the highest quality player in the world on the men's side over the last three weeks. That's right. It's Daniel Medvedev. He's picked up his third title of the season, making him the tour leader. This one came in Dubai. And I think I'm right in saying the most significant result of the week was his semi-final win, which was against the mighty Novak Djokovic, the world number one, who was on a big 21-match win streak and unbeaten this season. We've spoken a lot about where Medvedev is. Obviously, he's been picking up some form, beating players that perhaps a couple of years ago we still would have said yes we'd back Medvedev to win but that confidence seems to be back and a win over Djokovic feels like quite a big step Abigail do you see it the same way oh absolutely I I've been very um specifically I'm gonna say tracking Daniil Medvedev kind of the past few years he, he's a player that when he first came onto the scene I was pretty indifferent on and then as time has gone on I, I love the complete package that he brings to the table in, in terms of the tennis in terms of the the stuff on the mic I think he's great um but no it, it's definitely uh he's definitely found himself again um, I don't think that he ever disappeared completely I don't think he ever completely fell off the radar but I I think I would say he went he's gone from his average back to his best in my feeling uh, I, I, that win over Djokovic was massive because as much as I felt his form has been there in recent weeks, uh, I guess people will point to kind of the, the different matches that he's had. Has he been tested enough? Is it enough to say that he, he's kind of fully back to where he was? Uh, I think with with Djokovic, he was so clearly the superior player that there was a, a really strange match, I felt, in terms of the way Djokovic kind of disintegrated and he got impatient and he was ballooning forehands and everything, which is, is what you tend to see happen to other players against Djokovic. But I, but I truly feel that Medvedev at his best is one of the only players, maybe the only player that can actually do that to Djokovic in terms of lay the foundation for him to collapse, which is what we saw. And uh, having watched a fair amount of Medvedev over the last few weeks. I'm struggling to see who can actually last with him physically at the moment. I'd be interested to hear Calvin's opinion on this because I don't really see who's going to, and I'm not just talking in terms of the physicality as well, but in terms of let's look at the final of Dubai against Andre Rublev. And I feel like Rublev actually came into that match with a, a clear game plan. Okay, let's go in deep to the backhand. Let's get up the court, short to the forehand. And, and we saw these patterns of him moving up quickly, trying to finish off, playing out in the early stages. But then Medvedev's going to extend the match and extend the points. And he's going to be holding his own serve so emphatically, as we saw. So mentally, how long can you stay with that? And how long can you keep producing? And Rublev couldn't. And and so who's going to be able to hang with him and keep producing strategically the length of time they need to because Medvedev's never going to go down easy. And then whose body is going to be up to that test as well? Because we saw this in 2019. That Medvedev went on that crazy run at the back end of the year and you thought surely he's got to get tired at some point and he still took Nadal to five sets in the final of the US Open. So, so you ask the question, who, who can actually outlast him when he's feeling this good in this kind of form? And I, I guess you go to Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz. Well, Djokovic can't contest Indian Wells and Miami, as I'm sure we will discuss. And Alcaraz 
is having a few injury hiccups right now. So I, I think really Medvedev is establishing himself as right at the, at the very, very top of the game at the moment. That was a huge ramble for me, wasn't it? Wow. <laughs> Here we go. Big monologue. Uh, Big monologue. I, yeah, massive I, I opener. Calvin's not used to that much listening. That's, that would have been tough for Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just to quickly recap who he's beaten this week outside of Djokovic, because you know there, there was one more than one man in the draw that he had to get past. There was Arnaldi in the first round, Bublik, Chorich, then Djokovic, then Rublev, not dropped a set again. I mean, Calvin, just picking up on Abigail's points there about who can actually last with Medvedev. I mean, it's felt to me when you've analysed Medvedev recently, you're actually saying it's the people who hit through him will actually have the greatest success. But is this a really bad matchup for Djokovic now that Medvedev's kind of recovered this form? And is he sort of the anti-Djokovic at this stage in his career? Um, It's a weird one when they play each other because they had that, they well, they had that really good match at the start of this year when I think Medvedev had to withdraw, didn't he? But before that, End the of last, was good. Yeah. But other than that, um, they've not really... Every time they play each other, one of them doesn't play very well, or one of them plays exceptionally well, and the other and, and wins easy. We've not seen them where they've both been playing great for some time, um, and I'm interested to see what happens there. Um, in terms of who, I, I I do think he'll probably he'll win at least one of Miami or Indian Wells. Um, I can't see him not doing, to be honest, because he's so good on hard courts outdoors and. Like you said, with Djokovic not playing, um, we don't know what what the state of Alcaraz's injury is. Uh, I think it, I, I I would still favour Alcaraz to beat him. I think if they played, and he's fully fit, um, and then you're down to the players who can hit through him, which would be uh, I'm just looking at the rankings here. Um, Sitsipas, he beat him last time, I think, didn't he? Um, although Medvedev's record against Sitsipas is very much in favour of Medvedev. Uh, Fritz is always quite good in that swing. You'd still have to favour Medvedev. Um, Sinner maybe, but other than that, I think yeah, you you know you'd make him you'd make him sixty five seventy percent favourite against anybody. I would think at the minute on a hard court outdoors. Uh, and from Novak's perspective, how hard is it to kind of stop your season at that point for a moment? You know, you've lost to a guy we all think is going to be pushing him for. For number one potentially by the end of the season, given his form at the moment, he's now unable to go to Indian Wells. How how damaging do you see this result for Abigail in terms of pincing that cloak of in- invincibility, if you like? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I I don't think that result specifically does much to Djokovic at all. If anything, I think the fact that he's not allowed to play Indian Wells in Miami and the sheer frustration over that decision that is more of an obstacle than any specific loss that he's had on the match court. I mean, we only have to rewind a couple of months to the last time Djokovic beat Medvedev. Actually, that disguised that Medvedev had had a a fairly, not by his standards, but a fairly positive start to the season. In Adelaide, he only lost to Djokovic. At the Australian Open, he lost that to Serbi Korda, who was at a very high level. And actually, there were were flashes for Medvedev there of what we've seen in the past. He was just a little bit slow bringing it to the table. So there was a a lot of suggestion already that he could bring this kind of form. Uh, But back to back to Djokovic. Yeah, I think that, look, he's he's not this is not a new situation for him. He's been sidelined from tournaments on and off for a while now. And I feel like for Djokovic, 
the, the majors are such a priority now that anything that happens outside of those, I don't think he's going to let get under his skin too much. Whoever he's losing to, whatever this tournament is, whatever stage of the tournament it is, I think he's mastered the ability to kind of put his mind and his best performances where it matters most. And in terms of the other Grand Slams this season, I don't see that particular result having any bearing or significant impact. Just on Djokovic, I'm sure most listeners will have seen he is not allowed to play in Indian Wells. Um, they He's not been granted uh, an exemption, a word we've used all sorts of times over the last couple of years in tennis since COVID broke out. Um, he, he's technically not out of Miami just yet, I believe, I'm right in saying. There's still some lobbying going on in Florida from certain governments, but it does feel like the writing's on the wall that he's not going to get an exemption for that either. Um, Calvin, is it, is there any positive that could come from this? And I'm thinking in terms of preparing for the French Open, you know, having a couple of months on clay, get himself really up to speed on that. Is is that the one positive spin from this or, or does Djokovic lose a lot from not playing these events that maybe aren't as important to him these days as they were perhaps 10 years ago? I don't think it makes much difference either way, but I think he would probably rather have the matches than more than more time on clay. Um, and I think, you know, he still likes winning those big events. Um, so, yeah, he'd he definitely prefer to play it. He's got plenty of time to play on clay before the French Open. Like, you know, he, he, he tends to not play that well at Miami even, usually. Uh, not Miami, um, Monte Carlo. Um, and then he's got all the other 250s, 500. Well, he won't play many 250s, but 500s and, um, and the Masters series. I don't think he's got a problem with getting, getting minutes on the clay court. He'd much rather play. Indy Wells in Miami. He can lose his number one ranking, of course, to Carlos Alcaraz if he wins Indian Wells, but Alcaraz does have to defend Miami points the week after. So there could be, yeah, Novak may well live to see another day as world number one. I mean, quite an interesting stat I saw this week that this will now be the only Masters event to not have a big three winner that's Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal for the uninitiated within its last five editions. Um, Fritz, Norrie, Team, Del Potro, and whoever wins this year. I thought that was quite a fun stat and shows perhaps that these tournaments have struggled to really feel as significant as they once were, maybe over the last few years in the sense of not getting the big three fit and firing there. Or is that harsh and part of my agenda, Calvin? <laughs> I think probably is, yeah. Probably someone with a crocodile in their... Uh... Their Twitter bio would say it's part of your agenda, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, there's there's circumstances, isn't there? Federer's well, Federer's retired, so he wasn't going to play it. He's been, pretty much been retired for the last two years anyway. We had COVID. Djokovic can't play when COVID's on. Nadal tends to have this spell out anyway, as a rule. Although he did play last year, I think, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, there's reasons why. I think if all things being equal, one of them would have won in the last five years at some stage, if they were all playing and fully fit and of an age where they're not retiring. Yeah, and... George, you said, does it feel the same? I, I think it's more, does it feel the same with a, a D at the end? Because there, there always seems to be one or two missing. And I think that definitely does factor in kind of the overall outcome, it seems. It just seems to be... Yeah, something lacking in the lineup. 
It's strange because they the players think it's the best tournament outside the slams, don't they? In the yeah, fifth grand slam. So, um, although bizarrely, um, I saw that one of the I think it was the Doha Open have won ATP tournament of the year again for something like the third year running in some vote, which made me think that might be a bit suspicious. <laughs> Um, could possibly uh, cast aspersions on that card. Yeah, no, don't, don't hear people really do. very often Trying saying, oh, I just, don't hear people saying, no, oh, I just love Doha. It's it's just brilliant. I mean, I know they give a free iPhone out to the players every year, but other than Oh, that, my days. That's too good. They surely all have one anyway. I mean, that just seems the latest the edition. Top. Well, the, play, the, player, the players tend to get a player gift at every tournament. And uh, at Delray, it was a water bottle. And at Doha, it was an <laughs> iPhone. So yeah, two ends so, of the scale there. Yeah, yeah Delray Del Beach, bottom of the class, Doha, top of it. I <laughs> see how it works. Buying, I'd, I'd much rather be in Delray to be honest. <laughs> without without Djokovic, though, just returning to Indian Wells, Miami. The story now is it is it Medvedev v Alcaraz, and if that is the story, we're happy with. Who do we see coming out on top, Abigail? I mean, for Indian Wells and Miami, I think it. I I was gonna say it has to be those two, but we have such recency bias, right? I mean, Yannick Sinner was one of the best players in the world what two weeks ago, and he's consistently had good results at, at these two. Well, not these two tournaments, but uh, he lost to Alcaraz in the final of one of them last year, the year before. Um, had made the had won. Indian Wells maybe a couple of years ago I should have checked my stats here before we came through but I didn't know if I'd be talking about Yannick Sinner but the, the fact is he he's a player who has been producing recently and has produced during this swing in the past and while my instinct is to say that it's a Medvedev versus Alcaraz spotlight I know that I too can be guilty of that recency bias because we're so I went with tennis all the time and constantly looking ahead. Um, I, I just feel that there is a good mix in the men's game at the moment. And as much as we've said, Medvedev has established himself and a fit Alcaraz is his biggest rival. I think there are plenty of players in that mix that have the ability to cause some trouble in the earlier rounds. But I, I want one of those finals to be Daniil Medvedev, Carlos Alcaraz, because I don't think they've faced off since 2021 at which point Alcaraz hadn't really broken through and Medvedev, was he at his best? I don't know, but it was on grass courts as well. I think it was at Wimbledon. And so that's not Alcaraz's best surface. So I feel like this would be more of a level, level playing field with Medvedev just coming back to where he was and Alcaraz hopefully shaking off the injury. It's a match you want to see. It's a match you want to see for the trophy as well, I think, across the board. Yeah, absolutely. Can't disagree with that. Sinner was the runner-up in the 2021 Miami Open to Hubert Hurkacz. There we go. Ah, oh, there you go. The stats coming. That's the and one. you're right. Daniel Medvedev did beat Carlos Alcaraz um, at Wimbledon. 6-4, 6-1, 6-2. scoreline, albeit over best of three sets, to be a bit tighter this time? Calvin, who would you see coming out on top if we, if we do get that match over this little spell now? Um, I mean, I literally just said about 10 minutes ago that I thought Alcaraz would beat him, but I've changed my mind since then. Um, <laughs> I think, That's why I came to um, you with it. I thought you did. Yeah. Could tell. Yeah, I, I, you, I think, yeah, you'd have to make, based on Alcaraz not having loads of matches, not having any matches on hard courts um, this year, um, and Medvedev winning his last three, I think you'd have to make him favourite. Um, but, yeah, I... I, I 
I'd like to see that final, but in Indian Wells and both Indian Wells and Miami, you rarely get the top two seeds or the or the two best players making the final. You always have a bit of a wild card. Taylor Fritz won it last year. No one would have thought that. I think John Isner's won John Isner won Miami a couple of times. He has just the once. Yep. Think, yeah, but... you get strange things happen at those tournaments. So, and and also they they won't be one and two, will they? Are they one and two seeds? No, it's just a pass, I believe. Is yeah, so change. they could end up in the same half of the draw. Yeah. Oh, well, no, please. <laughs> let's hope not. Let's hope not. Right, we're going to take a very smooth segue to a very different subject, and it's the women's tour, and specifically a match that has generated quite a lot of interest all of a sudden, even though on paper, looking at the two names, stripped of context, you might not think, oh, this is the most exciting final of the year between Marta Kostyuk and Vavara Gracheva. But of course, given international waters at the minute, it was, of course, a Ukraine versus Russia final and Ukraine triumphed with Kostyuk <coughs> winning 6-3-7-5 in Austin, Texas. Quite an interesting end to this match, Calvin, um, with... I mean, I've seen a headline put it as Kostyuk not shaking Gracheva's hand, but I'm not actually sure that seemed right to me it just looked like it didn't happen full stop or may even have been initiated by Gracheva but I mean it's a shame to take away from what was Kostyuk's first first victory but what are your kind of thoughts on that for her she said it was an incredibly special moment for her particularly given the circumstances I mean yeah I don't know whether I don't know the political positions of um of either player. I don't know whether they didn't get on. It, it didn't strike me that there would be a lot of this with the Ukrainian players refusing to shake hands. I don't know if it's happened, if any other Ukrainians have played any Russians in any of the tours before, but it seems a little bit extreme for me, unless um, one of, unless, is it Gracheva that she played? Yeah, unless, yeah. unless she's expressed some great support to Putin and the war. It it would seem a little bit extreme to me, and it's not really helpful, is it? Um, but then again, you know, I I do empathise with Kostyuk that she's from a country that's currently under invasion, and um, I'm sure she doesn't care what I think on it. But it it's you know, yeah, there's not a lot I can say on it really. I mean, Kostyuk, for the record, has been probably the most outspoken Ukrainian, I would say, on the tour. I mean, Svitolina was quite outspoken before she kind of moved out of the scene a little bit um, due to kind of personal pregnancy, etc. Um Yeah, and so... I know Kostyuk has been, she has been vocal and she she just doesn't think Russian players should be playing at all, does she? That's that that's a, seems to be her position. But I've seen this week again that Andrei Rublev made another quite, you know, it was a little bit veiled, but also quite a strong statement in support of um, ending the war. He said he was thinking it was something to do with a, a poet or something. He gave he wrote a line on I saw something on Twitter. I don't know, I can't remember what the exact thing was, but he's been quite vocal and he's been quite strong on it. And I, I think it would be it would be hugely unfair to say that, for example, Andre Rublev is banned from playing tennis. What what would be what would we be banning him for? Because he he is openly opposed to the war. And he's trying. He's hoping that the war would finish soon. And he's he's making all statements that we could reasonably expect a Russian person to make without putting himself and his family at danger. So 
I, w I don't get what benefit would would we get from banning him, for example, and then, you know, other other people. I'm sure uh, I don't think Andre Medvedev, for example, is in favour of the war. So I don't really get what Kostyuk's point is. And and again, you know, we have to understand where tennis is in the big picture. Vladimir Putin isn't ending any wars because we're stopping tennis players playing tennis tournaments. I mean, put it, putting it the other way, Abigail, I mean, given how much this match will have meant to Kostyuk and, you know, all that kind of extra stuff that's going on that makes it more than a tennis match, at least from her perspective, she played bloody well, didn't she? I mean, she she put in a really good performance. She's taking care of business. It would have been easy to kind of get lost in that extra emotion that clearly would have been going through her mind and what's an incredibly tough time for her and her country. Yeah, I think she's really been able to channel things, Kostyuk, I think, actually over the course of the last six months. Uh, my first memories of Kostyuk, uh, she was the original 15-year-old wonder kid before Coco Golf. It was Kostyuk that actually made the third round of the Australian Open as a 15-year-old. So that was my better memory of her i've got to be completely honest i've done a lot more atp commentary as opposed to wta in recent times so i've not seen a lot of kostchuk what i have seen of her is great returning great play on the return i i think you've got a lot of great returners on the wta but kostchuk particularly always looking to keep that position aggressive she gets right inside the baseline for the second serves but she's also very willing to take herself up the court quite early um, I also think she's she's got deceptively quite good hands. I think if you look at her initially and her tendencies, you wouldn't expect that of her. Uh, but certainly in Austin, she was able to demonstrate some kind of guile and, you know, yeah, just very deceptively quite handsy and quite clever on the court. And that's certainly something that can separate herself from a pack where, Look, you, you do have your players with a little bit more versatility, but on the whole, in that top 100 of the WTA, you've still got a lot of power baseliners. So I, I think she's definitely got the assets that can make her one of those players that are higher up the rankings. And yeah, it's very tough to kind of put a number on it with these players as to where they could go because there is so much chopping and changing on the circuit constantly. Uh, but I, I think there's been a, a definite kind of upwards trajectory for Kostyuk ahead of this tournament as well. So this is just another big step in the right direction, I feel, for her. Career high ranking, of course. Um, she's beaten Galfie, Bringle, Friedsam, Danielle Collins um, before beating Gracheva in the final. Um, you kind of preempted my question there, Abigail, about how far she can go. I'm going to put Calvin on the spot. I mean, Still only 20. Abigail's right. I mean, I remember Kostyuk breaking through at that Australian Open when I, as James would say, was full-time on the tour. Um, and I actually interviewed her that that um, spring or into summer in Madrid, I think it was, um, just to prove I did once used to do some things on the tour. Um, <laughs> I can't remember if she was 15 or 16 at that point, but they certainly reduced the time because she was so young, which is fair enough. But Calvin, I mean, where... Where do you see her going? I mean, she looked so good a few years ago. It does feel, as Abigail said, like she's started to to channel things in the right way on court again inside the top 40. She's someone you think will be a top 10 player and possibly beyond? Um, I've not seen loads of her, to be honest. Um, but what I have seen, she's one of those who I'd bracket in players who could be top 10 players. Um, but again, I'm say this every week, I'm loath to make predictions on the WTA. 
tour <laughs> tournaments or uh, in terms of rankings because just it's so random. There's so much chaos involved that you know, yeah, she she has the ability to be a top ten player. There's no doubt about it. But um, so do about thirty other players, and play like top ten players about three weeks of every year. Well, I think it's well, really valid that in terms of chaos, I think that's a great word. One thing I will say for Kostyuk in terms of the week she's just had, as you read out those names, uh, George, she has be- beaten a good mix of players there in terms of what they bring to the table, particularly Madison Brengel. Like, she's not a name you're going to look at twice, but she's pretty funky. Like, she's one of the toughest players to go up against, I think, in terms of getting a rhythm and that kind of thing. So I, I think that in itself, like Kostyuk, the player on court, even if th- those players don't have the rankings that you'd give a second glance, she's going to know that she's come through some tricky opposition there. So I think, as well as everything else, that's a, that's a confidence boost for her, a bit of self-belief. That's an often underrated point about tennis players as well is how they handle completely different styles. So I think that that's a that's a point very well made, Abigail. It's been a week of firsts, not just Kostyuk winning her first title, but a first ATP 500 win for Alex Dimonor. James would be delighted with that segue. He'd be so proud of me. Um, this was in Acapulco. He beat Tommy Paul in the final. Good win over Holger Rune en route. Calvin, it's it's felt to me like Dimonor, and I, I don't know if I, when I wrote this in the notes, I wasn't sure if I was being a bit harsh on him, kind of saying his career stalled a little bit. But it, it did feel to me like he sort of hit a ceiling and then stuck around that point for a while. He's back up inside the top twenty now. Where do you see him at the moment, and where do you see him potentially going? Is this someone similarly to Kostyuk who? could get to the top 10 or is that just a much tougher gig to crack on the ATP tour and his limitations will be too much? Um, I'd be surprised if he makes the top 10, to be honest. I think he's probably where he is now. And um, I think he'll continue to be that for a few years. Yeah. He'll, he's somewhere between 15 and 25, I would say 15 and 30 in terms of where I think he is in terms of the best players in the world. Um, he, he, he'll he have weeks like this where he can do really well and his problem will be that, that I don't think he has anything to trouble the best players in the world in the biggest tournaments. Um, you tend not to see him in the latter stages of the slams for, for that reason. That he, he tend, with, that, with that ranking that he is, he's going to come across one of the best players in the world in either the third or the fourth round. And over five sets... I don't really see which of those players he's taking down. Do you agree? Um, and if you're if you are ranked at the where he is, if you are ranked at that ranking, you either need to do one or two things. You need to be winning relentlessly, winning five hundreds or two fifties, like what Casper Ruud did, or you need to be making big runs in the slams. And, and he he doesn't really do either of those things. Do you agree with that, Abigail? Yeah, I pretty much exactly where Calvin stands on Dimonor. I I do think he could potentially crack the very edge of the top 10 out of sheer desire and work ethic. I think he wants it enough that maybe he could literally break through at number 10 or something like that. But he's lacking weapons. I mean, I was commentating the Australian Open and I actually said, I mean, way to big up a match. But I said there is no way he's beating Djokovic tonight. And usually you would you'd make a case for someone. But 
I felt so bad. You just could not make a case with Dimonor. He's up against the most complete player in the sport. How does he finish him? How where where's his weapon? How does he have a hope? You know, there was just there was absolutely no way. And uh, uh, for a potential top ten player, you even if it's Novak Djokovic, you just shouldn't be able to say that about them. I don't think so. Also, the Acapulco conditions. He's done very well there. They played to his favor. Uh, they they were slow, high bouncing court conditions. Taylor Fritz was throwing up on court. Everyone was cramping for someone of Duminor's athletic and physical capabilities. He was always going to, I think, be one of the better players in vi- that environment. The conditions are not always going to play to him like that. So so well done on a great week. But as Calvin says, a lot is going to have to change, I think, for him to go higher up the rankings. I mean, you've mentioned those those conditions in Acapulco, which we're, we're going to save for the second half, Abigail, because I, I want <laughs> to talk more about vomit because it's one of my favourite pastimes. But while we've still got you in our final five minutes of the first half before we bid farewell, we did have a listener question this week, and I've just remembered I forgot to look up who they were. I will look them up and thank them in the at the start of the second half. But the question was, how will the WTA broadcasting work in 2024? Could Prime Video decide to continue with their coverage? Now, I think we're all of the understanding that Sky are picking up the WTA rights as well in 2024. So I'm going to frame this question slightly differently for you, Abigail, and just okay. have a little think. Is it good for the WTA to be going to Sky right now? And and I suppose more broadly, your views on the, on the broadcasting and where tennis sits, but particularly with the lean to the women's game at the moment and perhaps how much visibility that could do with. Okay. The the one good thing there, I think, is that it's in the same place as the ATP. The fact that Sky are taking ATP and WTA tennis, the same way tennis TV used to broadcast ATP and WTA tennis, that's probably the last time the WTA broadcast was in a really good place, to be honest. I, I mean, to me, before tennis went to Amazon Prime, I where did you watch if you didn't have BT Sport, was it? Where did you watch WTA tennis in the UK? Essentially, you couldn't. So I think, look, what Sky will do with it remains to be seen. I've heard that that's in the very, very early stages of development. But I, I think you've already got a plus that the WTA is, is with the ATP because I think I think that is going to draw more of an audience. But more than anything people know where to go to watch their tennis. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I work in the sport and I think it's ridiculous the number of subscriptions that I have in order to watch tennis all the year through. It's uh, You've got to work hard to watch tennis. And and if we want to keep growing the sport, it shouldn't be like that. So um, I really hope Sky can do something good with with both products in in the coming years. The question was from John Williamson, by the way. So I've got that in before going into the second okay. half. But, Thank but you, Calvin, <laughs> But Calvin, you, I mean, you, you've long spoken about how annoying it is to kind of try and navigate the tennis in Amazon, never mind just navigating where things are going to be broadcast full stop. Are you quite positive about this return to Sky? Um, On the face of it, yeah, I am. I want to see what they're going to do with it in terms of... Um, they, you know, they've got to have the multi-match facility on. It's got to be red button and and watch any of the matches at the tournament because that is what Amazon had. That was the only I think that that was the good thing about Amazon. It wasn't the only good thing. You know, some of the the presenting was decent and that kind of thing. Once you'd eventually got there, once it took you ten minutes to get the tennis on, um, <laughs> true. But but um, 
they've got to have that we can't go backwards now where it's just we're, we're watching a choice of one match per tournament um it's got to be red button and then the choice of all the matches that are going on at the time because that's what amazon had so if they're going to do that then i think it's it's a positive that it's back on sky yeah because their product was actually very good when they had um when they had tennis oh excuse me well, I'd... I lost my throat there. Here, here, I was going to say in much more <laughs> cool fashion. Um, on that very uh, awkward note, I think that brings us to the most awkward note of the night where we have to say goodbye to Abigail. Abigail, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Always a pleasure to have you. And apologies, it was with me navigating rather than the much more smooth James Gray. <laughs> we'll be back in part two, we being me and Calvin Beton, to take a few more of your questions where I'll remember who actually asked them. And to talk a bit more about Taylor Fritz and the app Acapulco Sick. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at Chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to part two of Tennis Unfiltered. It's just me and Calvin bet on without James Gray and without first half performer Abigail Johnson. Calvin, I said we'd come back to Acapulco. Um, quite interesting scenes this week. I mean, it's not often you see a player kind of throwing up on court. This was, of course, Taylor Fritz throwing up against Tommy Paul. Um, it was the longest match in Acapulco's history. And I'll read you a statement from his girlfriend after the match. After he got sick on court last night, we were up until 4am with the tournament doctors. He couldn't keep any food down, chills, severe dehydration, full body cramping, and almost had to go to the hospital. So scary. He's too stubborn to default and pushed himself too hard. These high humidity tournaments are no joke. Sad way to end the week, but so proud of the few weeks and excited to get to Indian Wells. I mean, quite a lot to unpack there. I mean, let, let's start just with the... The, you know him being ill in the first place have you seen much like that before at this kind of humidity where someone just starts being ill in you know they were tough conditions and it was a long match but it's quite unusual just coming out of a serve and 
not getting a time violation, etc. Uh, yeah, um, Sam Frost played Jim Courier at the, I know it was the 1995 uh, Australian Open, because remember, I was at college at the time, so people get a grasp on how old I am there. Um, and he, um, he was throwing up on the court at that time. And I think that was a bizarre one because his coach had just died. Um, Tom Gullickson and Tom or Tim, I don't know which one it was, uh, had just died. Um, and he was very emotional, but was also actively vomiting on court and ended up winning. And it was a big thing about, you know, that's the one that always stands out to me as someone actually vomiting on court and being sick. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't really know what Taylor Fritz's girlfriend is suggesting there. Like, are we, we're not going to have tennis tournaments where there's any humidity. We're kind of, you know, we're writing off a, a lot of good venues there, aren't we? <laughs> I thought, I thought it was quite interesting. Or the line that really stood out to me was where she said, he is too stubborn to default and pushed himself too hard. Is, is there any degree <laughs> to which that, you know, athletes like you have in boxing where people throw the white towel on, etc. Is, is there anyone who should be able to take a, a step in that moment when you can see someone's not doing well or, you know, in other sports you can be subbed off by the manager? Is it, you know, there are going to be players who refuse to retire, whatever happens, but is it is there something about kind of safeguarding players there at all? I, do you I think? don't think so. No, I mean, he's not died and he's not even, you know, <laughs> he's just dehydrated. Like you can't throw, you can't, you know, you know, you, we've had a few cases before where players go on the intravenous drip after because they're dehydrated. You know, that's all it was. Might have had a bit of food poisoning or something. Don't know what, like, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. I wouldn't read a whole lot into it. <laughs> and it's not like, like I find it weird. I, I do wonder whether he's just eating something a bit dodgy because, like, you know, it's not like he's the kind of player who. Like he's having long rallies, long grinding rallies, and he's from California. Like it's not like he's not used to heat, or you know, playing in warm conditions. He's been on the tour for years. Like you know, probably just one of those things. But you know, he's fine now. Is it? Is there any danger of mental scarring from his perspective? In the sense of you know, we talk about what, Draper, might... for example. Well, we talked about Draper, didn't we, a few years ago, collapsing from. The heat, and you might think, you know, in your head, can I get through this? You know, is my body capable to get up with this? It may be a bit different with Fritz a bit later in his career, but can anything like that affect you? I don't think so. He's won a master series literally in the middle of the desert. <laughs> so I don't see, I, I can't see as the heat's a problem for him. <laughs> like, it's, I don't, I, I just think it's one of those things, you know, the human body's a strange thing, isn't it? Sometimes you just, you know, you just vomit. And, you know, there's no explanation for it. It's probably a combination of a lot of things. But, um, no, I doubt he's, like, you know, I doubt he's getting the, the concerns when he next has to play somewhere that's hot. <laughs> well, we've had, we've had had something to talk about anyway with Fritz, if nothing else. Um, but we're confident yeah. he's going to be... He's going to be fine. That's the the certified Calvin. I mean, it's not even the worst. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, there's, there's ITF Futures tournaments and challenges in Thailand where... You know, the players say that you've got to get there a week before just to acclimatize. Mm -hmm. And they are, I, I think, pound for pound, the futures and the challenges in, in Thailand are in anywhere in Thailand are probably pound for pound the toughest tournaments to win 
relative to the level of player that you are, because that is like a completely different level of, of humidity than what you will face anywhere else on tour. Um, and I don't think, you know, in Acapulco, I think, you know, the humidity is quite bad, but those ones in Thailand with the heat and the humidity in their sort of on their summertime, they are, they are very, very tough. And if I ever see, I mean, a British lad, Stuart Parker, won, won one last year, won a challenger out in Thailand. And I, I said at the time, like, that, that is a hell of an achievement. To, to win one of those, being from Britain, where you don't experience any of that, is a huge achievement. Th those tournaments tend to be won by people from um, from either from Thailand or, or Southeast Asia or countries that do have a lot, they, that where humidity isn't a problem. Hmm. This might be a bit of a silly question, but I mean, where does humidity kind of rank in in toughest conditions for players versus you know maybe like altitude or stuff like that? Um, it's tough. Altitude, I think they struggle more with with how the ball behaves um, than than anything else. But humidity is is I think the toughest one, just because it's tough because you can't if you're not from a place where you get it. If, you, if you're from one of those countries, you become used to it. But if you're from Britain or, you know, anywhere in Europe, really, then you you don't experience it. So it, it's like playing in a completely different environment to what you're used to and depending on different levels of it. Um, but, I, I I mean, I've not played at that high enough level to say it, it was an issue, but I never found humidity that bad. I've, I've played in, in such as Florida where... There is quite a bit of humidity and that kind of thing. I, I, I always found extreme heat to be tougher than, um, than I know a lot of players say it's the humidity is worse than extreme heat. I always found extreme heat to be, to be tougher. But I know a lot of players they they don't like humidity again because of how it how it makes them feel and then how it makes the balls behave, which I believe we're going to be talking about shortly, aren't we? <laughs> Indeed, we will. Um, before we go to the balls. There was a sight that was quite nice to see this week of Naomi Osaka hitting on court whilst quite heavily pregnant. Um, we'll start. We'll start from there before saying who was watching over. But nice to see she's got at least enough passion for the game amidst her kind of time away. That you know she's spoken about coming back. We can hope this is a really good positive period for her where she gets in forced time away, realizes how much she misses it, and maybe comes back to. Push the life of Swiatek at the top, or am I getting too ahead of myself there, Kelvin? No, I really hope it does happen, and you know it's a positive sign, isn't it? And she didn't look like she was just there for a hit about, did she? She was mm. looked pretty intense, all things considered. How she was, how she was striking it, and the level of intensity that she had within herself, it it looked pretty pretty good to me. Um, yeah. And she had a a pretty famous face watching on from behind. Her. I mean. I've not seen any suggestions this is anything serious that may be considered when she comes back to the tour, but it was the great Andre Agassi kicking around, running the rule over her. Um, just taking a hypothetical and supposing Agassi wanted to coach Osaka when she came back or she wanted input from someone like Agassi, what are the sort of things he could provide to her and what other sort of things she might want to be getting from someone like Agassi, you know, whether this just in this time or going forward, potentially. Um, 
it wouldn't surprise me if it happens. I, you know, Agassi doesn't, he's not on court with a lot of people a whole lot. And I don't really see what he would be on court for if he wasn't at least running a bit of a rule over how she was hitting it and that kind of thing. Um, I, it's, it's a strange one, isn't he, Agassi? He's not really done any um, coaching. From none of none of the players yeah, from that era did really. Sam Frost well, didn't do it. He had the spell with Djokovic, didn't with Djokovic, he? Djokovic. It was which him and Stefanik. Yeah, I think was that in the tree hugging era? I think it was, wasn't it? it? it yeah, it was. And it was specifically so I, I remember speaking to Agassi. I interviewed him after they'd broken up in one of the first ones he'd spoken about this breakup between them, and he was saying a lot how Djokovic was going through this phase where he was refusing to have any surgery on his elbow and he was trying to encourage him to do that but Djokovic wanted to kind of heal it through other means so I think you know to give Agassi the benefit of the doubt there was an awful lot kind of going on there that maybe yeah. inhibited that partnership um yeah um I'd, I'd like to see him um working with a player and I think that would be a fascinating matchup with Osaka because they, they, yeah they're very similar players both brilliant brilliant ball strikers um and i think what agassi would add is agassi from when he first came on the scene was reckless he was he was basically a brilliant ball striker and not a whole lot else and as his career developed he became a master tactician really um through through help from brad gilbert and through darren cahill um and I'd, i'd love to see him maybe work with osaka on that and maybe bring some of his expertise on that in those areas to her game. Again, I'll come back to it that you never, just because you know how to play tennis doesn't mean you know how to express that to other people. So we don't, he might not be a very good coach. I don't know, but um, he's one who I'd like to see um, brought in, in that respect and work with one of the top players. I think he will be beneficial to a, to a lot of the players, really male and female, but that would be one that would really interest me. I think if, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because she's probably not going to play a tournament for another, at least another year, you'd think. I know she was talking about playing next year's Aussie Open, but I just can't see that happening. Yeah. I mean, he, he's someone I've interviewed a few times and found him to be a really engaging, thoughtful, yeah. outspoken, honest person and pro- probably someone I've enjoyed interviewing um, as much as anyone else, really. But, I mean, from from a a purely tennis perspective of people looking from the outside in. I mean, it's the sort of matchup that would get people interested, wouldn't it? I mean, it's two huge yeah. names. Like this is only a good thing for the sport if it, it were to happen. Yeah. I mean, he was, and Agassi was absolute box office. There's nobody who filled stadiums like Agassi did. And I include Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, uh, anybody. There's nobody who could command a, a stadium or who guaranteed a sellout more than Andre Agassi. He was an absolute megastar. Even more tennis. than McEnroe, your favourite? Um I'd have him absolutely on the same on the same table. Uh McEnroe was a different era. McEnroe was 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 the biggest star at a time when tennis was at its most popular. Um whereas Agassi for a while dragged the sport when it was it was waning. Mm. Um and every time he was on, I mean I remember when he when he retired, when it was his last tennis match, when it was his last tournament, which was the US Open in, I think, it was either 2006 or 2007. Um, and um, 
I I think we I don't think he'd announced it was his last tournament, but the feeling was it was. And I, I was getting up in the middle of the night and watching his matches right through because you just didn't know how long was left, and you wanted to watch. You know, he, he was he was absolute box office um, for anyone who didn't get to see too much of him. Just the way he played. Um, I mean, when he first came on the scene, it was like no one even looked like him. He looked like mm. an absolute alien like he dressed differently <laughs> from everyone else like just playing in denim shorts like imagine like like that kind of thing and then the night got on it he wore these trainers like the lads i, I mean i talk about trainers quite a lot with the, the lads i coach and and they can't believe that he used to play in these like high tops like 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 why is he playing in basketball trainers um but he did and and it was just and, and i have the i remember the first time i saw him play um I never actually saw him play live, which was a big regret of mine. Um, but I saw him practice at Wimbledon. And I don't think I've ever seen... Maybe Del Potro was the only player who I could say. Those two are the by far the cleanest ball strikers I've ever seen. Just the sound of the ball as they hit it was mesmerising. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember a bit of Agassi as a, a young kid on TV, obviously kind of the back end of of his career, but you know, I, I always remember just looking back at pictures of him. Like I, I only remember him without hair, really. So that kind of yeah. face. <laughs> they had incredible hair early in the career, and it was yeah, also early colourful. The, the long hair, the long hair with the headband, and then he had the baseball. Then he just this was the thing people would. He, he had these, and I, I don't know whether it was him who did it or whether he had people sort of advising him on on his branding and that kind of thing. So he had the headband. And then, like the first time he came to play Wimbledon, not he, he played it one year and he went, he lost first round early to uh, Henri Leconte, but then he just didn't play it because there was a big thing about his the clothes that he wore, um, and he wore the sort of he wore the black denim shorts and and the the electric yellow and black night gear, and the, the, he he basically didn't play because he said he didn't like grass and he wasn't going to wear all white, and then he announced he was going to play it. And it's hard to express the attention that was given. Like people were questioning, like, is he gonna, is he gonna wear all white, or is he gonna come to Wimbledon and not wear the whites? And he basically took, he he warmed up in the tracksuit, so he kept it right until the last minute, right until the first point was played. Um, and everyone was watching; no one knew. And he basically tr he got the Nike gear just how it was, but he transferred it to all white. So he still had the cycling shorts. So it's white denim shorts. Still <laughs> had the white cycling shorts underneath it. The trainers were the same, but where it was yellow and black, it was now just all white. And it was it was marketing genius. And then he came back. And then a year later, and he had the he had the still had the long hair, but he had the ponytail through the back of the baseball cap. Um, and then that's when he won Wimbledon. And then he then he dropped off again. He went went missing and dropped out of the top one hundred and came back. I think he's the only wild card to win the U.S. Open um, still um, in nineteen ninety four. And then at the nineteen ninety five Australian Open, there was another similar to that Wimbledon thing. Like no one no one knew, and he just basically changed his whole brand. He had these baggy shorts on. And he'd shaved his head and he had this pirate bandana and it was this pirate look. <laughs> and he had these hoop hoop earrings and a goatee beard. And it, it, yeah, he was just, he was absolute box office was Agassi. Well, he's, he's certainly a very riveting person to hear speak even today. And I'm, I'm fairly sure, you know, if he did come back, it would only be good news. And as it would be if we got Osaka back on the tour. So yeah, really, really nice to see her 
out hitting this week. Um, just sticking very, very briefly on WTA tour before moving to a couple of your listener questions. We had Donna Vekic picking up a title in Monterey. Uh, she beat Caroline Garcia. Garcia has lost a couple of finals recently, but um, that's a really good result for Vekic. I mean, she's someone who really dropped down quite badly due to injury. She's now, I think, I think 23 in the world again. Um, quite the redemption arc for her. Yeah, she's had a decent year, hasn't she, so far? Got her own, own clothing brand as well, hasn't she, that she's wearing? So maybe that's pushed to start winning some tennis matches. <laughs> Thinking of all the uh, the dollar that can come with it, perhaps. Yeah. Um, excellent. Okay, we are now going to hit up our listener questions. Congratulations to Beckett. She'll just quickly run you through who she beat en route to the title. Suenko, Navarro, Bonaventure, Zhu, and then Garcia. That's a pretty solid week for her at Monterey and really good to have her back at the top of the game but it's also really good to have you all back you the listener that is oh my word lots of great questions we've had this week as James might say this one is from at Wazza Melbourne or Ian Warren as he goes and he's he's started off by saying balls dot 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 tennis balls dot 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 at the Australian Open, many players were complaining about the balls, and I read similar comments in Dubai. What can be done to fix this? Calvin, I mean, Ian's right in the sense that a lot of players are talking about balls on the tour this year. We spoke a little bit, I think it was Fiontek last year, saying she was struggling with the balls in some areas. I remember Ash Barty saying there were certain balls at the US Open that meant she wouldn't be able to win that slam. Not that she actually gave it another crack in the end. Um, but there's been a few on the men's side this year as well with, I think, Medvedev complaining, seen some other comments. How important are the balls and how much credence do you take to what these people are saying? Is it that big a factor? Uh, the thing with what you have to understand with tennis players is that whenever there's a new ball, they'll complain about it. They always say they don't like the new balls. Like whenever there's a new brand of ball or a new type of ball, they never, you never hear a tennis player go, I'll tell you what, like these new ones. Like they complain <laughs> about them every time. Um, the Australian ones this year were new. And again, we're back to the humidity thing, which is where I mentioned it earlier. They're trying to find a ball that, that doesn't fluff up. It's only, it's like hair, it's covered in felt. So, as those those listeners that we've got that are lucky enough to have hair will know that one of the things <laughs> uh, that that happens in humidity is is your hair goes frizzy and that's no different from a tennis ball it fluffs up so they're trying to find a way to 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 prevent that happening as as soon as it does um the the tennis balls in australia this year the players were saying that they were moving in the air so any football fans will know it's basically like the new the modern football where for some reason we started we started creating footballs that didn't move in a straight line when they were shot. Um, I've never understood why they did that in football, really. Um, but that's what they were saying about those tennis balls in Australia, that they did they did move for the first few games. Um, so that's why they didn't like them then. But the problem is that ideally you'd just have an ATP tour ball and that's what, what you would have or, or that they'd play with the same ball at all the tournaments. That's never going to happen because... It, the tournaments like to negotiate their own ball deals. 
and we also need there's there's about well there's there's Wilson, Babalat, Dunlop, and Penn are the big ball producers. Um, there's also Treton, and there's a couple of smaller ones that that produce them as well. And and those companies would go out of business if no tournaments played with their balls. So yeah. you're going to have to that that we'll never get to a state where we're playing with the same ball. Um, and each and you couldn't regulate them to all make the same ball because they they all like to think that their balls are better than the others. So, uh, but look, no tennis match has ever been lost because of the. I know that one of the coaches was, was Ash Barty's coach, wasn't he? Was saying that she'd never win the US Open because of the balls that that they use there. I don't know why the men and women play with different balls. That's just idiocy. Um, at the US Open, there's no need for that. But um, yeah, I, I don't. It's one of those things. If you can't win it with the ball, then you can't win the tournament. They're the balls that you play with at the tournament. So. I don't think it's like, oh, the balls have cost me this tournament. <laughs> Ludicrous to talk, to talk like that. I mean, Medvedev was one of the people who was really actively against the balls, and he's obviously gone on to win this tournament, so it can't have been that bad. But I'll just read you a couple of his quotes, Gavin, because they are quite funny, I think. The last two games before they changed the balls, the balls are like apples. You, They are so, so big. You're kind of like playing like paddle. You hit the ball, whoever hits it with an angle, you don't feel like you hit control in the game anymore. In Doha and here, I felt like every time, two or three games with new balls, then the game becomes slower. My game was 6-4, 6-2, and it was like one hour, 40 minutes, which is almost a nonsense, to be honest. It's because the serve doesn't count as much and it's long points. Like apples is an interesting uh, description, but is there any seriousness to that kind of final point he's making there about you know it's dragging matches out too long are we you know in a in a an era where people can reach the balls so much more than they could previously you, you don't need slower balls as well on top of things do you no no you don't the, the ball shouldn't be slow I, I i agree with him on that it is ridiculous and they do get tough i know that especially because obviously most of the tennis i watch now is doubles um and the balls change every um every seven and nine. So basically what you get, you only get one new ball change most unless in, in, in the doubles. So, and it's a third set champions breaker. So what we've had a couple of times this year is if you have a particularly long second set, you can go by the time the second ball change comes, you basically, you could be playing with those balls for about 40 minutes by the, by the middle of the tie break. And those balls are pretty hard then, and they're hard. Sorry, that pretty soft then. Sorry, and what, that makes them hard to serve with. Um, what I would like to see, and I don't know why this isn't used anyway. I'd like to see the balls change the, at time intervals rather than games. So a change of balls every, you know, every twenty-five minutes or every half hour, something like that. Especially in singles, it doesn't make any sense to be saying it's it's seven and nine because you could have seven games that all went to four juices each and you could have nine games that are straight um you know there's barely any points go against surf um in terms of the players that are playing you know you could have to do john isner and riley apelka need new balls every after the first seven games there's barely <laughs> been any balls hit with them whereas you could put medvedev and um alcaraz on the court in indian wells this week they're going to batter the hell out with those balls over the course of nine games so I don't see any reason why you wouldn't say, right, we're changing the balls every 
every 25 minutes or every 30 minutes. So presumably it would have to be over a certain time period and then the next break. Yeah, the next game. So say, yeah, yeah, at the end of this game, then that's when the ball's again changed. Um, That would make more sense to me because it can have an effect. That's where it can have an effect is is when, when you get the new balls at what stages in the sets and that kind of thing. Um, or, or not when you get the new ones, having to serve, having to serve the last the game ones. with the old mm-hmm. balls, it, that is tough. That can be really tough. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that sounds a very very sensible suggestion to me. To be honest, Calvin, and one you should yeah. write a formal letter to the tour about. I've never, yeah, I've never I don't heard really anyone articulate any that. Yeah, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't, why they wouldn't do that. And it's different, like that down the tours. So at the um the future circuit, they only have balls every eleven and thirteen. Which is mm. which is That's really, really bad. <laughs> yeah, and you don't get any new balls in qualifying. It's one set of balls. Well, I have to um, say that the club matches I play, Kelvin, you just get one tube of balls for all the the whole match yeah. and you're done. Yeah. So We've tough all times for all of us out there. All of us. Yeah. We've got one more listener question before we wrap things up anyway, and this is a bit of a challenging one. I did intend to do my research before we came on and completely forgot. Um, so I'm going to do mine quickly now and then put you on the spot whilst I do that, Calvin. We've got who are the players, both ATP and WTA? This is a question from Rahul Misra uh, on Twitter. So who are the players, both ATP and WTA, outside the top 50 who could make a giant leap up the rankings this year? This is your opportunity to line yourself up for a I told you so moments in December. Now, we do normally do this at the start of the year, but I think, but to be fair, I think we do it about young. Well, no, do we do it? I think it's just anyone, isn't it? Anyone who shifts up the rankings. So this is similar. Yeah. Is there anyone catching your eyes? Should we do the men's first? Let you go. Yeah. yeah. So the usual rules we have is whoever climbs. The highest. I don't think that's too controversial. Should we say between fifty and a hundred? Keep it in that uh, thing, or do you want to go anywhere? No, my, my, the top yeah, my, any anywhere because mine isn't in the top one hundred. Okay, go on then. I'll I'll let you. Let you um, a player who I think is going to be top fifty within the next year um, is Leandro Reedy from Switzerland. I've seen a lot of because uh, he's basically played the same tournaments as um, Henry and Julian and Luke, who I coach. Uh, but he plays singles and they play doubles. Um, but he's a phenomenal talent. He's a great ball striker. He's one of the best returners that um, that is out there. He's a phenomenal returner. Um, huge hitter. Competes great. Knows how to win matches. He's a great lad. Um, but yeah, he, he's without a doubt, he's going to be top 50 in my book. And I think he's going to go a lot higher than top 50 as well. There we go. Big call, big call. I don't I don't I don't have anyone I'm as invested in as that, Calvin. As I'm quickly scanning through the rankings. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot to, to do another who I would another player who I would say to keep an eye on. Um you'll have to you go with yours, George, because I need to get this lad's name right because it's not easy to pronounce. Well, I was I was half considering an incredibly optimistic punt on Andy Murray. At 55. Actually, I'll tell you who I will go for outside the top 50. Ranked one place below Andy Murray and someone we've spoken about a lot before. We're going to go for Jack Draper. 
Oh, I was going to say, Jack, I thought he was, I thought he was in minute. 50. He's been inside top 50, though. Can you have 56. that? 56. I think so. He says, who outside the top 50 could make a giant leap up the rankings this year? I think he's got to make a big jump to to do well. But I think, I think I'll go for Draper now I've seen him drop out. It's always a bit of a bold pick getting someone who's actually closer to 50 rather than further out. You've got a lot more ground to cover, but... Um, yeah, um, yeah, the I'll other lad, it's, it's, it's a bit lower down, but the other one who I would say to keep an eye on, he won't be top 50 this year, but I think he, he certainly will be, uh, is like Dino Prismic from Croatia. Um, he's currently ranked about 400 and he's he's only 17. Um, but I think he's he's definitely on his way up. Um, he's one to keep an eye on. There we go. One to keep an eye on indeed. And for the women... And you um, can't play your usual. Anyone could climb up there. No, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I would say you know the obvious ones are the Frutova girls, aren't yeah. they? Um, I think they're going to do it, but that's not really sticking my neck out. I've got to be honest; I haven't watched a whole lot of um, most of the tournaments I'm at now are just the men's, so I haven't seen a whole lot of of the women's um, from that low level down. But the Frutova girls are going to be top fifty. There's no doubt. Yeah, they they were who I was who I had my eye on as well. Um, but I will, I'll go for another check, actually, someone who's impressed me a lot this year, Lyndon Noskova, um, who's actually ranked one below Fruvitova. I, I I would also say I would prefer to go for Fruvitova, but for the sake of picking someone else to keep it interesting, I'll go for Noskova. What a pipeline the Czechs have at the minute. Of course, we may well hope it's Emma Raducanu who does the climb. She's at 77 at the minute, but that feels some way off at the moment. Calvin, James normally asks at this point if there's any other business, and it's normally only me who ever puts their hands up. Is, do you have anything you want to have a burning desire to say before we uh, no, draw an end really, to this? No, no. Um, we can draw it. We can draw the line now. Draw the line. The line will indeed be drawn then and drawn it has been thank you so much for listening as ever please do leave us a five star review and rating on any of the podcast outlets anywhere you get your podcast you can listen to us as you already know because you're already here um but thank you so much for tuning in once more james will be back next week meaning that this will be hosted infinitely better but thank you once more to abigail johnson and of course Calvin Beton and we'll see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.